go through books of the Bible at Safe Haven. We've taken a little bit of a break, and we will be going through the book of Habakkuk next. That'll be two Sundays from now where we'll kick that off. Uh, But we've had Dr. Saunders come. Dr. Saunders, again, if you weren't here last week, is the founder of Wellspring uh, Clinic in Birmingham, Alabama. Didn't mention this last week, but Dr. Saunders, there's like 17 of you guys, 19 staff members, everything from psychiatrists to psychologists. I mean, they've got the whole gamut. And so uh, Dr. Saunders is the founder of that. And so he is here talking to us about anxiety and and what those things look like from a biblical worldview. Um, so without hesitation, um, Dr. Saunders, come on back up here, brother. Uh, let's welcome Dr. Saunders once again to Safe Haven. Okay, um, I'm going to be referring to this uh, off and on through today, but I made a couple of changes that you may have already noticed. Um, we're going to get to this in a minute, but this said fear... And today I've marked it out and I wrote the word believe. We're going to talk about that and why I did that in just a minute. Um, Man, two Sundays in a row I'm in a church talking about mental illness. God bless America, right? Uh, Last week I was talking about how that is just unbelievable. What a privilege to be in a congregation who's willing to talk about brokenness. Um, I'm not welcome in a lot of churches uh, in the, well, in America, probably anywhere, um, which is sad because I am a legit believer, brother, I'm telling you. Uh, but we'll talk about that uh, some other day. Um, so we discussed the fact last week that we're broken and imperfect because of sin, okay? And just like physical illness, mental illness uh, is a byproduct of that brokenness. Got my eye on you all over there. Okay. You know, the Bible and Christianity offer the only real solution to this problem of suffering and anxiety and depression. Um, So, last week uh, I was saying that mental illness is only a symptom of our real problem, which is our brokenness. And I mentioned that because of our brokenness, we don't fully see ourselves. And I was using the metaphor of the glasses you know, my glasses, because of my sin nature and my brokenness, they got smudges and cracks all over them. So everything that I'm seeing is going to go through those smudges and cracks this side of heaven, okay? Um, uh, but we can rise above those broken views. Um, and we talked about Romans 12 too. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, okay? Uh, and you can think about the glasses. We're going to, you know, God is cleaning off my glasses, That's renewing my mind. Okay, so today I'm going to really be focusing on another symptom of human brokenness, commonly known as depression. What a fun topic, right? Um, How big of a problem is depression? Last week we talked about how big of a problem anxiety is, and I said this is the age of anxiety, that anxiety is the number one type of mental illness um, in the United States, in the world, really. Well, depression is number two. Um, and I'm going to throw some numbers at you. More than 19 million American adults suffer from depression. Okay, now that's about 9.5% of Americans will, will suffer a depression this year. Um, that number is a little bit higher for women. It's about 10.5% of that number uh, is female. And then about 5.5% is male. So depression is typically more common in women than men. Um, but to give you some comparison, anxiety affects 40 million American adults. Depression affects 19 million. You probably thought that was reversed. Uh, not so. Teenagers, 13 to 18. Um, 13 million American teenagers suffer from depression, will suffer from depression this year. Now that's about 13.3% for those doing the math at home. Um, in comparison to anxiety, 24.5 million Teenagers suffered from anxiety. So uh, almost twice as many people, teenagers, suffer from anxiety as depression. But uh, 13 million teenagers, that's a massive issue. So what does it cost Americans to get treated for depression? Um, about $30 billion a year. 
that's less than 50 billion that it costs to deal with anxiety. Okay, so these are big time problems. 80 billion dollars a year just to deal with anxiety and depression in the United States. That's a big problem. Okay, well, what is depression? You know, uh, I really think that depression is one of the most overused labels um, in our world, second only maybe to ADD. Um, you know, what I mean by that is we all would say, I've been depressed, I'm so depressed, or, uh, uh, and we all have had times of sadness. Uh, that's not unusual. Um, but if your feelings of sadness are really extreme and last for about two weeks or more, and are really affecting the way you live your life, the way you work, all those kinds of things, that's when we start talking about whether that is a true depression or what we call a major depressive disorder, okay? So I want to talk a little bit about that specifically, just to kind of give you a definition of what is depression. Um, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this. Um, Certainly ask me questions later if you would like to. Um, But the diagnosis for depression is called major depression, now, there is no minor depression diagnosis. They just don't call it that. Um, uh, so, you, you know, when someone says, if I say, well, I think you have major depression, they say, no, I'm not that depressed, doc. And I'm thinking, well, it, this is what we call it. Um, there are different flavors, you know, moderate and mild, all that kind of stuff. But um, when it comes to depression and a diagnosis of depression, um, I want you to think of this. Let's say that this level is normal mood, okay, normal happy you. Depression would be the, a dip down in here. Uh, and we're gonna, we would call this a major depressive episode, okay? Uh, now, in that dark cloud of depression, um, there are going to be some symptoms that you would have. Uh, basically, five or more of the following things, and there won't be a pop test on this, okay? I'm just going to run through these. You can kind of be checking them off in your head if you want to. Um, I mean, obviously, you would have to feel sad. Uh, and then uh, people who are depressed usually either have trouble sleeping, you know, they sleep like they can't sleep much at all, or they sleep more than they would normally, 12, 14 hours a day sometimes. Um, They would lose interest in things they normally enjoy. Um, You know, you can think about not being motivated to go do the fun things you used to do. If you like to play golf or you like to hunt or you like to go with your friends some places, you would lose that. You would see a decrease in that interest. Um, You would start to feel guilty and worthless a lot more than normal. It would probably affect your energy level. That would go down, okay? Um, it would affect your ability to concentrate. Uh, people come in my office all the time and they say, Al, I can't, I feel like I can't remember stuff anymore. Now that gets more common as you get older. See, it's white here. Um, so it's not just that because you, you forget a few things, it must be depression. Lots of things can cause that, but certainly poor concentration can be a symptom of depression. Changes in your appetite. Uh, people who are depressed either stop eating as much as they used to or they eat a lot more than they used to. So you'd see some weight gain or weight loss. And then we've got this fancy word called psychomotor, which just means the motor that, that's running me, you know, from a psychological point of view. And, uh, and we would notice either an increase in that, so you'd feel real agitated, you know, and restless, or the opposite of that, you'd feel real lethargic, like you were going in slow motion. And then the one that we all worry, I can't really do that. The one that we all worry about is suicidal thoughts, okay? Um, so, nine symptoms of depression. One of them is, de- is feeling sad. Uh, if you've had about five of those for two weeks, you know, for two weeks of duration, then we start to think, okay, I think this person's been depressed. Now, really, two weeks is a pretty short episode of depression. I mean, probably the, the average of a depressive episode may be about six months, Okay? Um, now, what you'll see is uh, people who have a depression will, will recover, okay, at some point, and then they'll sort of go along at a normal, happy level, and then they'll hit another dip into depression, and then they'll recover, and then they'll hit another dip. And that's what we call recurrent depression, okay? That's typically what we see. Like, you know, some people have one episode of depression, and that's it, and that's awesome. And usually that's some kind of situational factor. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But a depressive disorder tends to be a recurring pattern. Okay, now here's why I say this to you. Um, it's super important if that's what's going on in your life that we treat that, okay? Because as people age, the, each depressive episode tends to be deeper 
and longer. Okay? Um, without, without us intervening in that, if you have a true medical depression problem, um, the sooner we jump in and start helping you with that, we can, we can eliminate that pattern that's going to recur, okay? So that's, that's the main reason I bring that up, because depression can worsen over your lifespan, okay? So I hope that's clear. I don't want to get too technical, but I felt like I needed to say that. Um, okay, so let's talk about what causes depression. Okay, um, I mean, the overall global answer to what causes depression is sin, what do you mean, Al? Well, uh, well, you know, you guys all know about Adam. When Adam fell and, the sin, and, and sin entered the world, it broke the world. It broke us as humans. And because of that, we got a lot of, of physical, medical, mental, mental illness type of problems. So the global answer is sin because depression is the result of sin. Okay? Um, if sin had never entered the world, then depression would not exist. But then neither again would cancer, neither would COVID, neither would divorce or death. <clears throat> but, but on an individual basis, so we got this global problem of, of depression exists because of sin. But on an individual basis, for me personally, uh, depression can be caused by personal sin, okay? Um, you know, like disobedience, um, uh, if I disobey God, there's going to be shame and guilt associated with that sometimes. And, you know, and, and so uh, I, I don't want you to hear me saying that depression is never the cause of my personal sin. Um, but just because someone's depressed doesn't mean that they have personal sin. Okay? I'm going to talk a lot more about that. But uh, I just wanted to try to clear that to start off here. Um, Sin is not necessarily the cause of someone's personal and individual depression. There are a lot of things that can cause that um, specifically. So, uh, it's important to remember that depression is, is the result of sin, but not necessarily a punishment or a consequence of sin specifically. I hope that's clear. I'm sure you all will ask me that later. Um, okay, but it can be true that sometimes because of sin we feel depressed. All right. There's this great verse in the Bible in, in John chapter 9 where Jesus and the disciples are walking along the street and they come across this man who was born blind, okay? Let me read it to you. It's fascinating that really answers this question very clearly. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins that he is blind. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Okay, so then Jesus proceeds to to heal this man's blindness. Um, So you see that even in Jesus' day, people were very eager to ascribe personal blame for any illness and disability. You know, you hear their theology. They were saying, this guy's blind because of his own sin, or maybe it was his parents'. Um, but Jesus challenged their assumptions. <clears throat> so the assumption that depression or any mental illness is punishment for sin is just as faulty as the disciples' assumption that this man's physical blindness was a punishment for sin. Okay? Thankfully, Jesus cleared that up, so you just don't have to take my opinion. Um, okay, so anyway, so what causes depression? Well, sin can cause it. Another thing that causes depression is biological factors. Now, now by biology, I mean like the medical head-to-toe kind of stuff in us. Um, Physical illness, chronic pain, uh, injuries, uh, those can definitely cause depression. I mean, I'll give you some of the list of things. Uh, Cancer, strokes, brain tumors, heart problems, um, Cushing's disease, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's. I could go on and on and on. 25% of, of people with severe chronic physical illness develop a depression because of the medical problem. Okay? Um, so, so it's very clear that physical illness and, and injuries and stuff like that can cause depression. Uh, also, your general health can cause some depression, like, like your lack of sleep um, or uh, terrible diet or 
Um, if you lack exercise or if you don't get outside enough, I mean, lack of sunlight. I mean, believe it or not, there's something called seasonal depression that people get around October every year. Um, it's not because they hate college football. It's because there's not enough light. And some people's brain is just wired that way, that if they're not getting enough sunlight, believe it or not, um, it, it, it doesn't produce serotonin in their brain. Um, okay, so, and uh, also hormonal imbalances. You know, definitely you've heard of postpartum depression. Um, a hormonal imbalance can cause depression. And then there's the genetics and the family patterns that you've all been concerned about. Um, believe it or not, if, uh, if, if my parents were depressed, if my parents suffer from depression, um, or one of my brothers or sisters, then I am one and a half to three times more likely to suffer from depression myself at some point in my life. That's a pretty big number. Three times, one and a half to three times uh, the chance that I would. If I'm an identical twin, which I'm not, but if I had an identical twin and my twin suffered from depression, then there's a 50% chance that I will. Um, and then they've done these studies where they, you know, where one kid, you know, two kids born in the same family, and one of them was adopted away, okay? And these biological parents suffered from depression. Um, did you know that this child who, was, who didn't live with them, who was raised somewhere else, has the same chance of being depressed as the kid who stayed home and was raised by depressed parents? So um, there's a clear genetic connection. Um, depression is, is clearly um, um, biologically connected, Okay. Uh, and so, you know, that nature versus nurture argument, really the answer there would be both, um, because clearly there's a genetic component to it. And then there's a lot of things that can go on in your life that can cause depression um, that we're going to keep talking about. Um, okay, so we got sin, we got broken, we got uh, biological factors. Let's talk about spiritual factors for a minute. Um, last week, we talked about the omnis of God. God is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient, and good. I, I hope that y'all can all read that. I actually rewrote that. I'm, I'm sure you can tell. So, uh, tried to make it a little bigger but, um, and a little neater. Um, these are God's attributes. Uh, and one thing I didn't include here, I thought about this week, was that God is holy. Um, it's, it's a little bit encompassed by some of these, but um, yeah, God is definitely holy. That's probably the main thing. Um, uh, but these are more relevant to anxiety and depression for us. So so when it comes to spiritual factors that can lead to depression, if I forget who God is, um, then uh, I... Now, here's what I was going to tell you this part. Last week we said with anxiety that these are four main categories that could cause anxiety. That we fear... Being abandoned or being insufficient. You know, I'm not good enough or power enough, powerful enough or smart enough. I'm uncertain. I don't know what tomorrow brings. It's, it's, I'm, I'm scared of impending problems in life. Um, and then pain and suffering. So when, we're, when we suffer from anxiety, it's when we fear that these might happen. Okay? Now, look what I've changed here. In depression... Mark that out. This ain't about fear anymore. It's about what you believe. It's, it's a conclusion. Depression kind of sinks in on you. And it's no longer an anticipation or apprehension that something might happen. That's anxiety. Depression is when you've concluded that you are alone, that you've been abandoned, uh, that you do not have the power to do anything, helpless, um, that you have no clue what's going to happen to you in life and, and a lot of, you know, uh, it, it's a it's it's a conclusion that not only are things uncertain, but it's uncertainly it's certainly bad. And then the conclusion that pain and suffering, not just that they may come, but that they are going to come, and that it's going to be endless pain and suffering, and pointless, and that there's no point to it. Okay, um, so you see the difference between anxiety, which is a fear of these things happening, and depression, which is a belief that these things are real. Okay. Um, now that's all. That's spiritual stuff there. Because um, if we take if we if we take God out of these things, we're totally exposed, and depression makes us think that those things are actually true. Um, <clears throat> I would like to say one thing about pain and suffering uh, before I 
uh, go on here. Um, you know, we deal with pain and suffering better when we know the reason and the duration of the suffering. So, for example, practice. If any of you ever played sports or went to graduate school or, or, or high school or college, um, as long as you know there's an end to it, you can put up with a lot. Um, one time I had a bad injury, and I, I couldn't walk for a while. Long story. Um, but I knew I was going to get better. Uh, you know, it's not like the doctor came in, in my room and said, you'll never walk again. That happens to some people. Um, but there was always a, a hope that I was going to get better. Um, and, and because of that, I knew there was a season, a duration of that pain and suffering. And it helped uh, give me hope. Okay. Um, so we deal with pain and suffering better when we don't think it's endless and pointless. Uh, so I want you to notice, though, that these four things right here are going to be lurking underneath all the other causes of depression that I'm going to talk about. I'm going to keep pointing back to it. And as I'm talking about different factors, you can try it out for yourself. Try to think, okay, now which one of these would be related to that? Okay, I'll try to point it out to you as we go. So causes of depression. We've got sin, we've got biology, we've got spiritual stuff. Um, and then we've got situational, circumstantial stuff. Think about this. Is, this is life. What are the life causes of depression? Um, well, to me, it's three main categories. Loss and stress and suffering okay, that life throws at us. And when it comes to loss, I'm talking about the death of a spouse or divorce or um, you know, things like uh, empty nest or retirement, uh, unemployment or getting terminated. And notice that all of those things are unwanted life changes. Well, retirement, uh, that might be your choice. Um, but whether it's unwanted life changes or a loss of purpose, like empty nest is a loss of purpose. I, I kind of refer to that as uh, forced early retirement for some parents. They didn't really want that to happen, but suddenly the kids are gone. And now what are you going to do? So it, you almost have to reinvent yourself. And, you know, people who retire after 40 years, man, if you don't find something new to, to, to do, you could struggle with a lack of purpose or, or loss of purpose. So loss is a big problem in life. Um, stress. Uh, you know, stress is, is kind of a, well... Let me put it this way. Um, stress is a mental thing where I, th- I look out at the situation that I'm going into, and I don't think that I'm really prepared to do that. Like, I- I'm scoring the situation here, and I'm scoring myself about here, and so that would be stressful. But if the thing I want, if the thing I'm about to do, like, um, like tie my shoes, okay, I-, I give that about a one on the difficulty f- uh, scale, and I'm an excellent shoe tire, as you can see. Um, I'm going to give myself about a nine. So here's my resources to tie my shoes. Here's the, the shoe tying event. Not too stressful because I'm a great shoe tire. But now if you, if you, you can make that a little more difficult on me. If you say, Al, you've got to tie everyone in this room's shoes in five minutes or less, or we're going to, like, hurt you. Okay, suddenly I'm not that fast, and you've put a task in front of me, even if it's easy, that, that you've added a time factor to it, and now I'm stressed out. So, see, stress is a cognitive thing, um, uh, but can be caused by situations of life, all right? Um, just an interesting point. Um, stress is often the main reason why people have that first depression and the second one, but usually not the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh. Uh, stress is not as big a factor in subsequent depressions as it was in the first two. It's interesting. Um, which may mean that, that a lot of our first depressions are situational and life-related. Um, okay. One more situational, circumstantial cause of depression is suffering. Now, I'm, I'm going to be talking a lot about suffering today. Um, we hate suffering. I mean, I, I don't know. I, don't, I imagine everyone else in here hates suffering, too. I certainly do. Um, but, you know, the Bible speaks pretty highly of suffering. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Um, We'll get into that a little later, but we hate suffering, and the non-biblical worldview, our cultural view of suffering, is that suffering has no purpose at all, and that suffering just steals my happiness, 
Okay, and in this Western world we live in, you know, America, and uh, uh, we got this view uh, that the meaning of life is happiness, and suffering seems to take away my happiness. Okay, and so then my life has no meaning anymore. So we spend billions of dollars uh, trying to eliminate suffering and avoid suffering. I mean, you guys live in the same world I do. We spend a lot of money trying to avoid suffering. Uh, and I don't, you know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I mean, that's that's the beauty of living in a in a uh, first world kind of country. We we have resources to to decrease our suffering and stress. By all means, uh, use what you have. Um, but this doesn't really work because suffering keeps on coming like waves in the ocean. Uh, in fact, if you, I don't know if you've thought about this, but if you're alive, which I think that's 100 percent here. Uh, if you're alive, you're going to eventually experience some pain and suffering. It's just a part of life. Um, but suffering, if you think it sh- it, that it, it has no purpose, you know, God's not in it, uh, that, that it's stealing your happiness, then you're going to really struggle with that there's no hope. Okay. Okay. So now let's go to some cognitive factors that cause depression. All these things, i got about six or seven or eight of them that cause depression. Here we go with another one, cognitive factors. Last week we talked about anxiety. You know, the fear that these, you see how the fear turned into a belief. Okay, that's a cognitive factor. And as I said last week, chronic anxiety is the number one cause of depression. So if you're wondering which comes first, the chicken or the egg, usually in this case it's anxiety. Anxiety is usually first and depression is usually second. Not always, but usually. Um, and then there's something that I alluded to last week that I want to talk a little bit more today is a cognitive factor of depression. Uh, unrealistic and unmet expectations. Uh, and I want to share with you a, a brief research study uh, that was done way back in World War II um, and then redone in America today. So in World War II, this is not going to be a big history lesson here. I'm going to make it brief. Uh, in Berlin, near the end of World War II, I believe, uh, yeah, uh, the Allied forces were bombing Berlin. This thing was almost over. And, um, and every morning, the Germans in Berlin would wake up, and their neighborhood might be destroyed, and various neighbors might be dead. And so they would, every morning, they'd wake up, and that was sort of the goal of the day, to figure out what do we need to repair, who's dead, all that was terrible. Um, but you know, anyway, that's what happens in war, I guess. Um, Okay, so some weird psychologist took the opportunity to pass out some life surveys, some life satisfaction surveys. Can you imagine how well that went over? Um, To these people in Berlin. And so they got all this data about how satisfied with life the Germans were. Okay, and then somebody in America about 15, 20 years ago found that data and said, hey, let's run that same test in America today. Uh, you're not going to believe the results. Uh, guess who had greater life satisfaction? Germans being bombed or Americans today? Germans being bombed. What in the world? Okay, so they came up with this idea that, that expectations in reality, okay? So the Germans of those days, they expected to be dead by tomorrow. They expected their neighborhood to be destroyed. The reality was, I'm alive! Okay, so their reality, if they were alive to take the survey, their reality exceeded their expectations. Okay, and so they were at peace and happy. They were happy to be alive. In America today, just flip that around. Oh my goodness, we we have unbelievable expectations. Because in America, you can be whatever you want to be. You heard that when you were a kid, right? Um, Or, uh, you know, if you just follow these three simple steps, you can be a millionaire. By next week. Uh, and, and, and you're supposed to always start. You always get a trophy. You know, all that kind of stuff. I actually gave my fifth graders, my uh, five-year-olds a trophy one time. I'm proud of it. Um, we didn't lose a single game. Okay. Uh, so in America, expectations are off the chart. And even though our reality is so awesome compared to the Germans' reality, okay, their reality was terrible. But our reality is so awesome, but it can't even touch our expectations. Okay, and, and so we're miserable. It's amazing how miserable we are. Uh, in fact, if, if you want to Google some research, 
some of the most depressed nations in the world are the most wealthy nations in the world. It's really sad. I think US, the United States is number two. Um, okay, so expectations and reality is a cognitive factor. Another cognitive factor is negative thinking. Uh, believing lies about myself and other people and God. You know, if, if I believe that God is not these things, uh, that is a belief, that's a cognitive thing, and it's a spiritual thing too, as we already talked about. Um, and then there's this concept called learned helplessness. And again, I'm going to give you some research. And they don't do this kind of research anymore because this one had to do with dogs. And I love dogs. So, um, But they had these dogs. And they had them in these wire cages. Okay, And the bottom of the cage was um, wired for electricity. Okay, so And then it had a little divider in the middle that the dog could get over. And so they, uh, the dog was having a great afternoon just hanging out on this side. And they started zapping him. And they realized, and so then the dog would hop over here to this side. And so the, the brilliant scientist said, hmm, dogs don't like zapping. Hmm. We paid a lot of money for that research, probably. Okay, and so then they would zap this side. And the dog would hop over here. And they you know, kind of kept doing that until they were sure that dogs don't like zapping. And you know what they did? They zapped both sides and kept it going. So the dog would hop back and forth and realize, man, I can't get away from the zapping. And so the dog would just lay down and take it. And what, you're not going to believe what happened. These dogs then stopped eating. Their energy was gone. They affected their sleep patterns. These dogs got depressed. Same symptoms that we get. Um, and so they came up with this term called learned helplessness. All right? And the whole idea behind this is that nothing I do, it's when you get to this, this, this conclusion that nothing I do is going to make a difference. Um, being trapped and unable to remedy an intolerable situation like that. Uh, or nothing I do is going to make a difference. That's insufficiency. Okay. Uh, well, a little bit of abandonment too. Um, okay. Cognitively, we'll wrap this one up and go on another factor. But cognitively, when you get to the view that you're hopeless, that it's hopeless, you're helpless, you're worthless, you're alone... That's going to end up causing depression if you stick with that belief, okay? Uh, another factor that leads to depression is emotional factors. Now, um, emotions are like the caboose on the train, okay? The emotions are last. Emotions are really the result of some of these other things I've talked about already, the cognitive stuff, the spiritual stuff. Um, but you can end up with some emotional factors that end up causing some depression, like anger. Uh, if, if you're angry all the time, it's going to end up rotting on the inside. Uh, and I don't know that many people have a trash compactor these days, but uh, some of you probably do. But this was something that a lot of people had a long time ago. Um, actually, my parents still have one. Uh, you fill up the trash can and you push this button and it squishes all the trash down. You put more trash on it, push the button, and it squishes it down. You can keep that going for about a week. And I guess it saves you a trip to the garbage can, which is a great idea. Except that down in there in the bottom of that thing is a banana and a cheeseburger that you threw away and a, some ice cream or something about a week ago. And now it's spoiled and rotten and it stinks. And if you spill that, taking it out, it's going to be a massive mess. Um, anger inside of you uh, is like that trash compactor ice cream down at the bottom. If it stays in there, it's going to rot you from the inside. That's kind of a gross metaphor, but anyway, I'm going with it. Okay, and then another emotional thing would be guilt and shame. Y'all have all heard of that. Let me tell you what the difference is. Uh, Guilt is a feeling about what you've done. You know, you feel bad about what you've done. Shame is when you feel bad about who you are. You hear the difference? Guilt is, about, is a feeling about what you've done. Shame is about a feeling about what you are. Uh, guilt and shame can cause depression. And then the biggie, unforgiveness and resentment. Have you ever heard that um, statement that, that harboring unforgiveness is like drinking poison and, watch, and waiting for the offender to die? Have you ever heard that? It's kind of an interesting thing for you to think about. Um, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and waiting for you to die because you've offended me. Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. But uh, unforgiveness and resentment only punishes you. The offender may be unaware that you're even that mad about it anymore. 
They're free. They've walked on. They've moved along in life. So forgiveness is, is the best antidote available for anger, shame, and guilt, and, and you know, all that kind of stuff. Forgiveness is, it, which is why God commands it. You ever thought about that? In the Bible, God commands us to forgive. Why? Is he kind of trying to let people off the hook? No, he's, he's commanding me to forgive because he knows it sets me free. And God is just. He, he promises that there will be justice. Um, but it's not my job to be the judge. Uh, it, God's trying to set me free with forgiveness. Um, so all these emotions, anger, guilt, shame, unforgiveness, uh, are leftover trash in our spiritual cognitive brain, okay? You got to empty that trash because hoarding the trash is a health hazard. All right, so those are all kind of the causes of depression. Things like sin and biology and spiritual stuff and life circumstances and emotional factors and cognitive factors. So there's lots of causes of depression. Um, what can we do about it? Let's see how I'm doing here on time. Okay. What can we do about depression? Um, well, let's see how many things do I have. I think I've got about eight or nine things for those of you who... I'm going to try to repeat so you can, if you're trying to take notes... Um, Okay, so what can we do about depression? Well, the first thing that I would, anytime someone comes in my office and, they, and I think they're depressed, the first thing that I think you should do is go get a thorough medical evaluation, okay? Because we don't want to waste your time trying to help you with, with um, depression if it's straight up related to a biological medical problem, okay? So you want to go to your doctor if you've been depressed a while and just... Get a good workup. Make sure that there's nothing medically going on, that there's nothing with your medicine that you're taking that's making you depressed or something like that. Uh, thyroid issues, just all kind of stuff, as we talked about a minute ago. Um, but then the second thing is, is, is also kind of a preventative measure. Uh, you want to be healthy. Uh, it, it, you know, depression can come on any of us. I personally want to stack the odds that I not slip into a medically-based depression, okay? So um, I call this uh, the big rock balance, okay? You're like, what in the world? Have you guys ever been to one of those uh, uh, examples or, or seen like a teacher or somebody do this thing where they get this big jar? Actually, I'm not using this. Hold on. Where they get this big jar... And then they put, they got a stack of rocks over here and a, little, a stack of smaller rocks and, a, and then a, this bucket of sand and then this big jar of water. And they say you got to put all this stuff in the, in the, in the jar. Um, well, how you go about that, the sequence that you use is going to determine whether you can get it all in there. So I'm, I'm going to give you the spoiler alert here if anyone ever asks you this. You have to start with the big rocks first. Okay, you put the big rocks in there. And then you take the little rocks and you can kind of sprinkle them in. They sort of settle in between them. And then you get the sand. You can just pour it all in there. And then you get the water and it just goes on top and kind of fits in everywhere. And if you do all of that in, those sequ- in that step process, you'll get them all in there. Um, so, uh, so where are you going with that, Al? Well, um, I think in life it's so important that we keep the five. I think there are five big rocks that are really important to being healthy. You ready? Here we go. Uh, mental. Physical, spiritual, social, and vocational. I'll slow down. Mental, uh, physical, spiritual, social, vocational. What do I mean by those things? Mental. Um, you got to exercise that brain. This thing's a muscle. Okay. Uh, I don't know. You know. Hopefully, you like to read something. That's a good mental exercise. Uh, uh, silence and solitude. You ever thought about that? Our culture hates that. Um, really important. Have some think time. You know, you got to exercise your brain. Uh, all of us, we're all staring at a phone all the time. I mean, and that ain't reading. <laughs> that's, just, that's just making my brain into some sort of a mush. Um, so mentally, we got to be healthy. Uh, physically, oh wait, mentally, even stuff like reading. I mean, like music is is mentally good for you. Um, physical. We already talked about sleep and diet and exercise and doing stuff outside. Super important. If you want to be healthy and stack the odds that you won't suffer from depression, please uh, pay attention to your physical body. Spiritual. 
um, uh, being here at church, fellowshipping with other believers, um, ministry outreach, you know, going out and doing things in the community for other people, um, and time alone with God is crucial. Um, if you're not spiritually healthy, you're setting yourself up to potentially slip into depression, okay? And then there's the social stuff. This is the one everyone likes. Uh, your family and your friends. When was the last time you really had a good belly laugh or uh, invested in other people socially? It's really, really important. And then vocational. Working at something, even if you're not getting paid. Um, or, you know, we, actually, you know, work was given to mankind before sin entered the world. So work's a good thing. Um, do something intentionally and purposefully that benefits the community. You know, work is a great thing. It's very, very easy to get out of balance in one of these five areas, okay? Uh, if you overemphasize some and underemphasize others, it can lead to burnout and depression. So if you work all the time and you hadn't done anything fun with other people in a while, it's just a matter of time before you are going to get burned out and you're going to set yourself up for depression. Okay. Um, all right. So what are we doing about depression? Go see, get a thorough medical exam. Be healthy. So you're trying to prevent. Be, be as healthy as possible. Number three, let your friends and family and church know. Um, let them help you. Because see, now depression is going to lie to me because depression says that only weak and unspiritual people get depressed. So I've got to keep that a secret. Please don't do that. Uh, you are setting yourself up for major problems. If you're struggling with depression, find a way to let your friends and family know. Find a way to let your church know. Um, you know, and, and uh, one criticism about all of the churches uh, in America, and probably everywhere, we do great at ministering to people with physical problems. If you got a broken leg or if you had surgery, man, the Sunday school, they're coming along, they, they got a meal list working. Uh, we don't do that for people who are depressed. Now, part of that is that sometimes we don't know because, you know, people who are depressed, are, sometimes they feel like it's a secret and they're ashamed of it. Um, but we're not really good at noticing when someone's depressed because, you know, we, we tend, Americans, we tend to hide stuff, you know. Um, uh, this is where shepherding in the church and friends in the church are really important. Uh, let, you know, when's the last time we checked on each other? Um, when someone's depressed, I wish that as a church we would reach out to the depressed person just like we do to the person who just had surgery. Sorry, I'm hoping, I'm not trying to make people feel guilty, but... Pointing these at me, too. Um, here's one you probably hadn't thought about when you're depressed. Ministering to other people. What? Yeah. When you're depressed, you know, we talked a little bit last week about how so important to get the focus off of ourselves. Well, one thing depression does is really, really dangerous. Depression makes us focus only inside. Okay? It's really, it just sucks our attention into ourselves um, and so it's very hard to reach out to anyone else. Where am I going to get the energy to do that? Um, I don't know if you guys have ever gone to a soup kitchen or, you know, helped uh, just fed homeless people or, or stuff like that. Don't you feel great? I mean, you could have been having the worst day in the world. You could have just been laid off or something. Or, and you, if you, but if you spend an evening feeding homeless people, you get in your car and you got a smile on your face. What is up with that? That's what I'm talking about. Depression wants me to just think about me. If I can get outside of myself, it will help. In fact, depressed people are some of the best people to help depressed people. You ever heard of group therapy? Group therapy is very effective. You get you know, a bunch of depressed people in the same room and they help each other. It's, it's the, the neatest thing in the world watching that happen. Um, okay. Uh, another thing you can do about depression. Don't ever stop crying out to the Lord in prayer. It's okay to vent to God. It's okay to be persistent. Uh, we talked a little bit last week about that parable that Jesus told about the persistent widow and the judge. And uh, she had a problem, and she needed him to make a decision about something. He was really putting her off. And Jesus describes this judge as an ungodly man. Um, 
And it's a very short parable, but eventually the judge decides he's going to help her out and, and, and rule something in her favor just so she'll quit bothering him. And why would Jesus tell that parable? Is Jesus trying to tell us that, that if I bug God enough about anything that he'll give it to me? I don't think that's what he's saying. Uh, I think he's saying be persistent in your prayer. And, and when you pray, remember thy will be done. Okay, my prayer is, is more of God give me the strength to persevere. God give me the strength to work through this problem. But thy will be done. That's the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane as well. Um, another uh, one of my favorite of all time stories is the uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story. Where and you, you guys probably remember this. Uh, the, the emperor, the king, was in, was demanding that all the people. Um, I think it was Persia or somewhere. Somebody can help me out with that later. But um, he was demanding that all the people worship him. Uh, at a certain time. And if you didn't, you were going to be thrown in the furnace. Okay. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, well, you know, we're not going to do that. Um, and he said, well, I'm going to throw you in there if you don't. He goes, well, and you might do that. But our God can deliver us. He is able to deliver us. I love this part. And then they said, but even if he doesn't, we're still going to worship him and praise him. Uh, I love that. Man, well, that's some faith right there. Can we actually pray that? Can I, am I strong enough to pray, God, please lift this depression. But even if you don't, I still love you. I'm still going to worship you. Because I still trust you. I still know that you're good. Okay. Uh, so don't stop praying. Okay, now I've got a couple more things here. Of, these are still what we're going to do. What can we do about depression? This one is, the next one is remember who you are and whose you are, okay? This is all about identity, and, and we talked about this a little bit with anxiety, uh, but think about it like this when it comes to depression. Um, there's only, uh, the only one who gets to name you, or, or the only one who gets to name something is the one who made it and the one who owns it. Think about that for a second. Um, okay, we'll pick on you. What's your name? Sorry? Cole. Okay, Cole. Who gave you that name? <laughs> okay, they made you. They got to name you. Okay. My dog. Um, we got to name her. Uh, for those of you who are wondering, I'm a human. I didn't make that dog. So. <laughs> Talk to your parents about that later. Um, uh, he got his name from the people that made him. My dog got her name from the people that own her. Okay? But now God, see where I'm going with this here. Um, God is both the maker and the owner of you. So your true identity has to come from him. Okay? But now, what we do with our identity is I, I'm trying to get my identity out here in the world from whether people approve of me or power or. Uh, you know, influence or uh, money, just stuff like that. You know, how, what a great athlete you are. Uh, you know, we try to get our identity from stuff like that. But it didn't make us and it doesn't own us. And so it's always going to be a problem. If you misplace your identity in one of these things like money and power and popularity and approval, it's going to be a train wreck. Um, last week we called those little G gods. These are good things. I mean, I'm not anti-athleticism or power. or you know, Money's a great thing. It buys a lot of cool stuff. Um, but if you worship those little G gods, they're very terrible and cruel to you. I would not suggest that. Uh, you're going to end up broken and dysfunctional. Uh, for example, my identity as a psychologist, I'm a psychologist, I'm a father, I'm a husband. Guess what? All three of those things can be taken from me today. That would be bad. That would be a bad day. Um, but you know what you can't take away from me? My name that says Son of God. Because my identity is set. My identity has been received from the owner and the maker. It's not achieved from the things that I do in life. It's just kind of cool. You know, on my name tag from God, it says stuff like Son um, redeemed, not guilty, dearly loved. I like those names. Those are pretty good names. 
Okay, so remember who God is. That really is something that's very important when it comes to getting over depression. Um, I'm sorry, who you are. I got ahead of myself here. Remembering who you are, whose you are. Now let's talk about who God is. Uh, this is really, really so important. Uh, God is many things. These are, this is kind of a head start for you. God is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. He's good. He's holy. Um, remembering who God is helps me battle against these things that I fear or these things that I may believe. If I believe that God is omnipresent, then that's going to help me deal with a belief that I'm abandoned or I'm alone. Um, God has not abandoned you. He never will. Uh, You know, Jesus went through, you know, on the cross, Jesus was separated from the Father for the first time in all of eternity. Hell, okay? You know, Jesus went through that separation from God so that you and I would never be separated from God. Never. Never, never, never. Jesus went through that for us. Another thing that's interesting is that your relationship with God depends on His unchanging faithfulness, not your changing emotions. Okay? Uh, That is so reassuring. Um, because depression lies to us and says that it's only, depression only happens to people who don't have enough faith. Or depression only happens to people who are not Christians. Um, isn't it nice to know that when I don't feel like I can generate the emotion, the emotional connection to God, isn't it nice to know that God is still there and connected to me? Because He never changes. Um, did you know that God cares about your suffering? Depression lies to you and says that, that God hates you. If you're depressed, God hates you. That's not true. Um, Jesus passed the love test once and for all on the cross. I know, you probably wonder, what's the love test? The love test is, well, if they do this, they love me. You'll probably do that to your spouses all the time. Uh, if there was a love test about whether Jesus loves you, he passed that on the cross. Passed it. Game over. Nobody does that if they don't love you. So don't ever think that God doesn't care. Okay, so those are things about who God is. It's really important when we're fighting against depression to remember who God is. Um, And then I said we're going to talk about suffering a little bit more here. Um, We want to challenge the lies about suffering. Remember we were saying just a few minutes ago that the world thinks that suffering has no purpose and it's going to steal my happiness and steal my meaning. Well, what's the biblical view? Well, the biblical view is that suffering is, a nor- is normal. Suffering is normal. Suffering is a part of life. If you're living, you're going to eventually feel some suffering and pain. Um, there's a couple of Bible verses that I think are really kind of funny but very helpful. In Job, he says, Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? Think about that. Shall we accept good, only good from God and not trouble? And in 1 Peter 4, he says, Dear friend, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering as though something strange were happening to you. What a great verse. Uh, But I react as if, what? How could this be happening to me? And Peter's like, what, Al? Why are you acting like that as if something strange is happening to you? Suffering is normal, but we seem shocked when it comes, don't we? Uh, Another thing about suffering, suffering always has a purpose, even when we don't understand it. Remember that God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything He knows. Let me say that again because I really want you to chew on that. God gives us what we would have asked for if we knew everything He knows. Um, So just because suffering doesn't make sense to me doesn't mean that it doesn't make sense to God. Um, I could use parenting example after parenting example of things that we put our children through. that doesn't make sense to them, but it certainly makes sense to me, and I'm human. So if we take it up a notch, uh, God is not cruel. God loves you. He's already passed the love test. If something is going on in your life like depression, don't ever think that it's because um, God is being mean to you or cruel to you. He is doing something and producing something great in us. Every time it talks about that in the Bible, it says the same thing. Uh, James 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not, not lacking anything. I like that part. I like the part about not lacking anything. But in order, he says, that's why that I can be joyful when I'm having trials and suffering. Okay. Um, so it's about keeping my focus on what's coming. Suffering is always redemptive. Suffering is refining. It's like a furnace with gold and silver and you're boiling off the impurities. Believe me, we've got some. Uh, suffering strengthens and changes us. Um, I'm a much more patient and compassionate person uh, because of suffering. That's, those are great qualities. I wish I had more of them. Uh, I, didn't, I really would prefer God just give me those. You know, uh, But it just doesn't seem to work like that. And you know why? Because of me. Philippians 1 through uh, verse 6. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. So, so you guys and me, God is, is, is doing something. He's not going to leave you right where you are. He's going to be faithful to complete the work that he started. And sometimes that involves suffering. Uh, sometimes, unfortunately, that may involve depression. Uh, the greatest of all things about suffering, I'm going to give you guys a new word, uh, it, suffering turns me into a free lover of God. Now, what I mean by that is, is that I love God for who God is because he's worthy of my love, not because of the stuff that he gives me if I'm a Christian. Um, you know, don't marry God for his money. Let that sink in a little bit. Okay, lastly, uh, what you can do about depression is you can seek professional help. Um, therapy. There, you know, a couple of options here. Uh, therapy, which is counseling kind of stuff. Uh, that's where you're talking with a counselor or a psychologist. It can be very helpful to talk to somebody who's going to listen to you and will help you understand the problems you're having and the lies you're believing, like these kinds of lies, um, and the pain you're going through. Counselors can offer lots of strategies to help you overcome problems. Um, uh, they've probably heard it a few times before, and and leaning on their expertise when you're really stuck in a depression is a really good idea. Um, and then there's medication, which I was going to get questions about this anyway, so I'm going to go ahead and dive right in. You know, medication usually helps. Um, 76% of the time, um, it, it helps depression, which is actually more effective than counseling alone. Um, but with medicine, sometimes it takes two to four, two to six weeks before it really kicks in. And, uh, and, then, and then sometimes it's kind of like an antibiotic. You know, the doctor gives you two weeks worth of antibiotic, and then he says, but after you feel better, keep taking it all the way through. Why does he do that? So that it won't relapse. You want to kill it. So with, with, with antidepressant medicine, you really got to take it beyond when you feel better, you know, uh, sometimes six months later, um, just to prevent a relapse. Uh, taking medicine for depression is not... A sin, and it's not a lack of faith in God. I know some may disagree with that, um, but all physical and mental illnesses are are a result of sin, uh, and we often take medicine for physical illnesses without worrying about that. We just take them. But do you know that a lot of the physical illnesses that we have are a result of mental illnesses, like ulcers, things like that. Um, that's a physical problem that you take medicine for, but it was really caused by a mental illness of stress and stuff like that. Um, scripture doesn't forbid taking medicine, and it does take faith to take medicine. Uh, remember that all healing is God's healing. All healing is God's healing. God often heals through doctors and medicine. Now, there are some downsides to medicine. Uh, the first would be you can have possible side effects. Yeah. Uh, and secondly, if you've taken medicine just to avoid real problems then that's probably an unresolved issues that you could resolve. That's a bad idea. Because um, if you avoid the real problems that cause the depression, then as soon as you stop taking the medicine, then those symptoms are probably going to return. Uh, so uh, there are some definite downsides. Um, let me conclude with the, some thoughts, just sort of to summarize it all. Um, I'm saying that this is a fallen, broken world, and we're fallen, broken people, okay? And depression is an unfortunate, real illness that's a part of that brokenness. But God has made a way through Christ to redeem us, okay, to restore us, to heal us. Uh, God loves me too much to waste any pain and suffering. He's not, gonna, he's not just cruel. He's not just uh, wasting my time and his. He's not wasting pain and suffering. 
Uh, if you're depressed, keep fighting and doing everything you can to break through these dark clouds, using all the stuff we've talked about today. Uh, and keep your focus on the goal of completeness and wholeness, like he talks about in James. Remember this whole, that thing about maturity and lacking nothing when you go through all those steps? Um, keep your focus on th- that you're heading towards that. Um, because sometimes depression and suffering... God is using those to produce something good and to draw you closer to himself, okay? And remember, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Uh, well, let me pray for us real quick, and then uh, we can maybe have some time for some uh, questions. Uh, dear God, Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you have made a way for us to be restored um, Christianity is the only thing that offers that solution, Lord. Uh, Otherwise, we would have a serious suffering problem uh, with no solution, Lord. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you died for us to restore us. Um, Lord, I pray that something that I've said today um, would would, would help these folks. And I, I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.